Hey, everybody. It is Tuesday, July 11th, 7-11. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, uh, we should remind everyone on this 7-11, 11 turns 96 years old today <laughs> and is giving away free Slurpees. It's free Slurpee day. So you just go and you get it. You don't have to do anything. I, I, that's my understanding. I haven't done it in a few years, but the last time I went through with the free Slurpee on 7-Eleven at 7-Eleven, it was a pretty straightforward process. It's also one year since my 7-Eleven baby was born. Uh, my son was born on 7-Eleven. Happy birthday, Grayson. I, I, <laughs> I recall the text that day. If I remember correct, you were shopping for an outfit to go home in from the hospital and uh, Grayson decided to show up. Correct. So which you'll also remember, I had COVID for the first time after three years of a pandemic um, in my ninth month of pregnancy, which was extremely uh, frustrating and interesting. So we were sort of uh, behind in the prep for getting ready because I had kind of like three weeks. It was probably like eight and a half months. So I, the last three weeks, I just couldn't do anything, couldn't shop, couldn't get out of bed for a while, actually. Um, and then I'm finally feeling good, ready to get back out there, go shopping for the outfit to take the baby home from the hospital in. Uh, I was at Denny's, which is a popular store around these parts on Long Island, and my water broke, and the rest is history. Well, happy birthday, Grayson. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we will let you know, uh, as uh, my wife Alex is in her third trimester, what our baby has in store for us. Hopefully nothing dramatic, everything very smooth in the coming months. Let's get to some news. Some new numbers show that the South has become America's new economic powerhouse with $100 billion in wealth moving there in just a couple of years. The mysterious Russian mutiny getting even more mysterious. We learned that rebel leader Yevgeny Prigozhin has now met face to face with Putin and they talked new job opportunities. And this is confirmed by the Kremlin. We'll get into that in just a second, but it's it's mind-blowing. We're still trying to figure it out. It also looks like there is a deal to let Sweden into NATO after Turkey drops its opposition. Former USA Olympic coach Larry Nasser, who was convicted of sexually assaulting gymnasts, has been stabbed in a federal prison. The new social media app Threads announces that it has more than 100 million members in less than a week, and it appears to be taking a bite out of Twitter traffic, how Elon Musk is responding. And it might be time to take that trip to Disney World. New numbers show attendance is down this summer. Plus, Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, one of my favorite historical events, the day that Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. It's probably now one of the most famous events given the uh, popularity of the Broadway musical, but we'll get into that and a couple other headlines on this day. Let's start with some major economic news in the United States. Some new government figures show that for the first time, the six fastest growing states in the South, Florida, Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, and Tennessee, are contributing more to the national GDP than the Northeast is. This switch happened during the pandemic, and it shows no sign of reverting. So a flood of transplants helped steer about $100 billion in new income to the Southeast in 2020 and 2021 alone, while the Northeast bled out about $60 billion based on an analysis of recently published IRS data. The Southeast accounted for more than two-thirds of all job growth across the U.S. since early 2020, almost doubling its pre-pandemic share. And it was home to 10 of the 15 fastest growing American large cities. 
So Nashville's become the country's top real estate supernova in surveys by Price Waterhouse Coopers and the Urban Land Institute. Houston, Atlanta, and Charlotte rank among the top 10 moving destinations nationwide by Penske Truck Rental. And no one beats Fort Worth, Texas near Dallas, the country's fastest growing big city in the latest Census Bureau data. Home to my parents now that they moved from Chicago. They're part of this trend line. Actually, not even accounted for because this only takes us through 2021, Jill. It's a fascinating trend line of the nine fastest growing cities in the South. Six of them were in Texas. uh, So a lot of people headed down there. 2.2 million people migrated to Florida and across the Southeast in the past two years. That's effectively the size of the city of Houston. That's how many people have made their way Southeast. Now, as recently as 2005, not even 20 years ago, the Northeast share of national GDP economic output was just about 24%, while those six states in the South that we talk about were just under 22%. In 2022, the numbers flipped. Now, this has been a long-term trend, but everything really sped up during COVID. Uh, You can go back to 1950. That's when the Northeast had about 28% of the population. Those six states in the South had 16%. By 1996, the South share of the population already exceeded the Northeast. And then in 2022, uh, you now have 26%, one out of four Americans now living in one of those six states, whereas less than one in five Americans now live in the Northeast. The CEO of J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, earlier this year said on Bloomberg that J.P. Morgan, the bank, now has more employees in Texas than New York State. He added it didn't have to be that way. One criticism is the tax burden in New York. So when it comes to the rationale here, obviously there's the weather, right? People just realizing I don't need to sit through the cold winter in the Northeast. Then on top of that, restrictive uh, zoning laws, land use laws, housing costs. Uh, The typical price of a home in New York City is double that a uh, home in Charlotte. Uh, The business startup environment, very challenging in the Northeast. Again, a lot of regulations, a lot of taxes, uh, not so much in the Southeast. The Southeast also has a number of states where you don't have a state income tax. Uh, whereas in New York, for example, if you live in New York City, you're paying a New York City income tax, you're paying a New York State income tax, and you're paying federal taxes on top of other taxes. And so you're left here with a situation where the South is this powerhouse, the Northeast, which already had high taxes in a number of these states, now that the population is moving, the tax base is moving, well, what are they going to need to do to make up for that? Well, they got to raise taxes again on the people who are left. So it'll be very interesting to see if there's some creative strategies here by the Northeast to get people back because uh, there was this wake-up call during COVID. Mosh, not to get too personal, but what made the Winunus choose to move to Texas? Parents want to retire in a warm place after several decades in Chicago. So uh, that was uh, definitely my father's priority, but also just the, the freedom, the land. Uh, but the weather was most important to them. I mean, retirees have always made their way down south. You know, what's key here is you have working age population also making their way south in record numbers. Again, the Carolinas, Georgia, uh, Florida, and Tennessee and Texas here. Uh, Jill, having been in Nashville recently, as well as Charleston, South Carolina, you know, people, locals there have been talking about how prices have gotten astronomical. Now, as a New Yorker, compared to New York prices, not that expensive, not as expensive, but by the standards and by uh, history in those places, very expensive. So there are definitely some issues here. It's not an all positive story for everybody. The people who are relocating Uh, Good for them. The people who were local, seeing the prices skyrocket uh, when it comes to real estate, when it comes to other things there, uh, that's become a challenge. And so, you know, uh, given how quickly this has moved, it'll be interesting to watch how this unfolds now in Texas, in Tennessee, in South Carolina, uh, Georgia, et cetera, in the coming years. It'll also be interesting to see if the politics in those states change. Many of them solidly red 
Um, so will they become purple? Younger people tend to be more democratic. So we'll see. And we've already seen a bit of it in Georgia, especially, right? Though, interestingly, in the past midterm, uh, you saw Florida go even redder despite the move. And so that could speak to also the type of people, uh, politically speaking, who are moving to some of these states. So, you know, this is going to have an impact um, socially. This is going to have an impact economically. And this is certainly, as you noted, going to have an impact politically uh, and even the pollsters out there who are going to try to gauge what happens in the 2024 election in some of these states, uh, given the wholesale change, the number of people coming in there, it's going to be hard to predict based on past trend lines, given, again, the migration numbers that we've seen. OK, let's head abroad where things just keep getting weirder, for lack of a better word, in Russia after last month's attempted mutiny. We learned on Monday that Russian President Vladimir Putin held a lengthy meeting with Yevgeny Prigozhin just five days after his Wagner private military company launched a brief mutiny. This was confirmed by a Kremlin spokesperson who added that, quote, further employment options for the mercenary group were among the matters discussed. What? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> well, they, they all need jobs. And so, uh, Jill, they were discussing what happened and like, OK, what do you guys want to do next? It is the first known contact between the two men since Wagner's uprising on June 24th. That uprising, which killed more than a dozen Russian airmen and led tanks to get within 120 miles of Moscow, posed the most dramatic challenge to Putin's authority in his more than two decades in power. Putin reportedly invited 35 people to a three-hour meeting on June 29th, including Prigozhin and all of Wagner's top commanders. The details of any agreements potentially reached at the meeting, still unclear, and Prigozhin hasn't said anything about it since that failed mutiny. The fighters shared their version of events and reportedly also pledged their loyalty to the Russian president. Jill, the Russian spokesperson, this is Dmitry Peskov. Uh, so this is somebody very close to Putin. And the reason why you can go with this is like literally Peskov is saying this makes it sound like this kumbaya moment. Like, oh, they just got together after the mutiny that killed multiple Russian airmen, had uh, Wagner criticized the leadership, want to take out the defense minister, took out our southern command, uh, took over our Ukraine war operation in the south, took over our southern city, uh, ran tanks up to 120 miles within Moscow, led us to dig ditches to try to block their tanks. But sure, they had a meeting five days later to discuss what happened. Putin wanted to hear them out, wanted to hear what was on their minds. It sounds very much like the Vladimir Putin that we know. What's next for you in your career? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> I understand we've had some differences lately. How can we work this out? I, you know, it, it does reinforce the old adage, you keep your friends close, but you keep your enemies closer. And that's the sense here from people who watch the Kremlin and are trying to understand what's happening here. Uh, the meeting itself, though, the fact that there was a face-to-face -face meeting five days after the mutiny, still extraordinary. Remember, Putin went on television, branded Prigozhin a traitor said that these people engaged in this revolt, he vowed harsh punishment against them, a criminal case. Now the criminal case has been dropped. This is not going to be popular amongst uh, Russian military leaders. Remember, Prigozhin here uh, was critical, saying, take out your defense minister, take out your military head. Well, those guys are still in charge, and they're hearing that Putin's also having this meeting on the side. So Putin is trying to strike this delicate balance, condemning his biggest threat to his rule, but also not alienating him, but also trying to give some love to the defense minister and the military chief. And remember, we still haven't seen Prigozhin on camera, Jill. 
for a couple of weeks now since that mutiny. What's that all about? And so we're still waiting to see that as these reports come out. Remember the Wagner Group? They have led some of the biggest victories for Russia in the invasion of Ukraine. They've also been on the front lines of conflicts around the world. Remember, Putin likes this mercenary group, or he has liked this mercenary group, because they're engaged in stuff in the Middle East and Africa that he doesn't have to take responsibility for, war crimes, uh, bolstering authoritarian leaders, and engaging in some really dirty, terrible things. And so he had them. They've done a lot of stuff for him. Clearly, there's been some issue here with Prigozhin, but not so much of an issue that he didn't you know, have tea with him, so to speak. They broke bread. That's a big deal. All right, Jill, before we get to the speed read, let's thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to begin with Bull and Branch. We talk often on this podcast about forever chemicals, all the bad stuff that's in our food, drinking water. Uh, and it turns out that bedding also, some bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, toxic dyes, well, Bolin Branch, one of our sponsors, and they've been a sponsor now for more than six months, uh, is changing that standard for good. They make some of the softest sheets. You and I uh, both have them on our beds at home, made with 100% organic cotton. Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. We have a couple sets now, and they're really great with this hot weather. They're very breathable, perfect for the heat. And right now, they have a special deal for the Mo News community. For a limited time, you can get access to their annual summer event using the code Mo News, M O N E W S. You can get 20% off over at bullandbranch.com. That is Bull and Branch, B O L L. A-N-D, branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS. And we're also always talking about health trends and food trends and just how hard it is to get your nutrients. Well, one way to get all the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get on with your day, knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer and get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the New York Times. NATO is set to fully accept Sweden into the alliance this week. The announcement came Monday as Turkey, which was blocking Sweden from joining, agreed to clear the way for Sweden. It was a sudden reversal just hours after President Erdogan said that the European Union should first advance his country's bid to join that economic union. Erdogan lifted his objections to Sweden's entry into NATO after they struck an agreement that both would continue to work bilaterally against terrorism, Sweden would help reinvigorate Turkey's application to enter the EU, and NATO would establish a new, quote, special coordinator for counterterrorism. Jill, it comes as the big NATO summit gets underway uh, today in Lithuania. Uh, Turkey's demands uh, also included that Sweden crack down on dissidents whom Turkey considers terrorists. This includes pro-Kurdish activists and members of a religious group that Turkey accuses of planning a coup 
uh, back in 2016. Remember, the way NATO works is it has to be unanimous, and uh, effectively, Turkey has been holding up Sweden's application now uh, for uh, nearly a year. So, Jill, that's what's public here in terms of the agreement. We don't know what promises were made behind the scenes. There was talk of weaponry going to Turkey, potentially from Sweden, potentially from the U.S. It could be a multilateral thing. I imagine more details will come out in the coming days. Interestingly, uh, you mentioned that Turkey wants in on the European Union. So you have NATO, which is the military alliance. Then you have the European Union, which is the big economic alliance. Turkey has been trying to join the EU since 1987. And effectively, their application has gone nowhere. One of the issues is the rise of authoritarianism in Turkey as Erdogan has uh, really uh, taken control and started to take apart certain democratic parts of Turkey. We should note that EU officials were very quick to reject the demand that uh, Turkey uh, is allowed in here, saying this is a separate issue. Sweden and NATO is very separate from Turkey in the EU, but it sounds here like Sweden will help Turkey, or at least make the case, make the pitch for them here. But I wouldn't think short-term Turkey gets into the EU here. Turkey also has a lot of economic issues, and the EU is trying to remain stable as an economic union. They've had some issues with some of the countries they've taken on in recent years, especially in Southern Europe, uh, vis-a-vis Northern Europe. So now when it comes to NATO, Sweden officially becomes the 32nd member of NATO. If you look at a map, It now is looking more like Putin's worst nightmare, uh, especially post-Ukraine, as Finland and Sweden both join NATO. So if you look at the Russian border with Europe, it is nearly all NATO countries. And that was not the case 20 years ago when Putin first took power. And so what this means uh, along those borders going forward uh, is a question. But at the same time, Europe feels threatened. Countries like Sweden and Finland, who felt they didn't need to be part of the alliance for decades, now feel post-Ukraine that they need to be protected by the NATO alliance. NATO alliance, what is core to it is if one country is invaded or is attacked, all countries respond on behalf of that country. And that's why NATO membership is so important. That's why Ukraine is seeking it. Those we mentioned yesterday, they're not going to see it anytime soon. But look for more headlines this week in relation to Ukraine, Russia, and NATO as this summit takes place. From the Associated Press, Larry Nasser, the former USA Gymnastics and Michigan State doctor who was convicted of sexually abusing numerous underage female gymnasts, has reportedly been stabbed while serving his sentence at a federal prison in Florida. The attack happened Sunday. Nasser was in stable condition on Monday. Sources said Nasser had been stabbed multiple times in the back and in the chest. The two officers guarding the unit where Nasser was held were working mandated overtime shifts because of staffing shortages, according to a source. Jill, this is the latest incident of violence that we've seen in a federal prison. Remember, Jeffrey Epstein somehow was allowed to commit suicide, right? We saw Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, commit suicide recently. Uh, there have been multiple. Whitey Bulger uh, was attacked. You know, the famous mafioso from uh, Boston was attacked in federal prison in recent years. And the argument here uh, goes that federal prisons are understaffed right now. You know, they made a point of saying those guys were on OT sh- shifts. They don't have enough staff to deal with everyone in the prison. Nevertheless, Nasser certainly has no shortage of enemies here. He's been in prison since 2017 after pleading guilty to sexually abusing underage girls while serving as the team doctor for USA Gymnastics and for the Michigan State Gymnastics team. More than 250 women have come forward to accuse Nasser of sexually abusing them. That includes, by the way, Olympic gold medalists Simone Biles, Ali Raisman, Michaela Moroni, Gabby Douglas, who you might know from previous Summer Olympic Games. A judge sentenced him to between 40 to 175 years in prison. For those crimes, Nasser is also serving a 60-year federal prison sentence for possessing 37,000 images of child pornography. 
He's also been convicted of sexual abuse in Michigan and sentenced to between 40 to 125 years in prison there. And, you know, typically uh, people convicted of those types of crimes, Jill, tend to not do very well in prison. From CNBC, Twitter traffic is tanking as Meta's Threads hits 100 million users since its debut last week. Threads launched in the United States Wednesday and is being touted by Meta executives like Instagram chief Adam Masseri as a more positive public square for communities that never, quote, really embraced Twitter. So far, users seem to be on board. CEO Mark Zuckerberg said in a post, quote, that's mostly organic demand and we haven't even turned on many promotions yet. Can't believe it's only been five days. Twitter does appear to have taken a hit. According to SimilarWeb, it's a data company that specializes in web analytics. Web traffic to Twitter was down 5% for the first two full days that Threads was generally available compared to the previous week. The company said Twitter's web traffic down 11% compared to the same days in 2022. And Jill, while there's no official comment from Twitter, Elon does not appear to be taking it well over on Twitter. Uh, several tweets over the weekend uh, really going uh, obscene when it comes to Mark Zuckerberg. Elon Musk tweeting at one point, Zuck is a cuck, which is an offensive term for a weak man. At another point, he tweeted that he wants to challenge Zuckerberg to a literal measuring contest of their manly parts. So you know the expression, they're saying the quiet part out loud? I mean, that's really yep. what he's doing. You know, he's he tries to play this off as like, this is a joke, but I mean... Elon Musk. I mean, you're the richest man in the world with all these companies. What are you doing with these with these tweets? But this is what he's doing. Clearly upset by the publicity that Threads is getting so far. I mean, they're certainly helped by the existing social network Instagram, which has nearly two billion users. Jill, so a uh, hundred million of those have immediately connected into Threads here. Uh, there are estimates that they could see up to two hundred million, and this could add up to eight billion dollars uh, in revenue for Meta in the next year. And the app still has a lot of room to grow here. It hasn't launched yet in Europe, where they're still uh, navigating regulatory complexity, uh, aka privacy challenges, because in Europe, they have much more restrictive laws when it comes to privacy and use of data. And they're not sure whether uh, Meta meets those standards yet. Keep in mind, Meta collects the same amount that Facebook and Instagram collect, but they collect more than Twitter collects on you, including when you download, for example, if you're an iPhone user and you download threads. And by the way, if you already have Facebook or Instagram downloaded, it has access to your health app. Uh, on Apple. So they're getting that data on you. And Jill, we should mention there was some controversy over the weekend. Adam Masseri, the head of Instagram here, head of Threads, saying that he isn't seeing news and politics as a big part of Threads. Uh, that got some pushback. Uh, we say here at Mo News, challenge accepted. But they're saying over at Threads, like, we want it to be a happy place and news and politics is depressing and we're not going to make a point of pushing it there. But as most social media companies have found in the past few years, as much as you try to avoid it, it'll come for you. Uh, and so they're going to have to figure out how to navigate that. So I was trying to figure out if um, some media outlets, if they had a different strategy for threads versus Twitter. And the few that I've been checking out, they seem to be just tweeting and threading, if that's what we're going to call it, the exact same thing. They're basically just posting their same articles. So it, it appears the strategy, at least right now, is exactly the same on both platforms. Right, right. Thread said, uh, we're not here to replace Twitter, but as far as the users are concerned, it's basically a replacement <laughs> yeah. and you're seeing you're seeing Thread traffic go up and Twitter traffic go down and a lot of people hit copy paste on their tweets. Uh, and you know, some people are trying to make both continue to work because they're making a bet on both. But 
Um, that appears to be it, though, Jill, I still find it frustrating on Thread so far that searchability is really terrible. Like I was trying to, you know, learn more about the Pergozin story and you can't search topics yet or hashtags on threads. Whereas on Twitter, I can. On threads, you can only search people's handles, people's names. So people named Pergozin is all <laughs> is all that came up for me when I did that search on threads. And had you searched Wagner, <laughs> yours truly would have come up. Right, right. If I searched <laughs> Wagner group, all I would have gotten was your Twitter handle <laughs> or threads handle. All right, now staying with business, here's some more news from Axios. The auto industry beginning to crank out more electric vehicles, but there is one problem, not enough buyers. The growing mismatch between EV supply and demand is a sign that even though consumers are showing more interest in electric vehicles, they're still wary about purchasing one. Experts say it is a field of dreams moment for automakers that are making these big bets on electrification. So they've built the cars and now they're waiting for buyers to come. EV sales, which account for about 6.5% of the U.S. auto market so far this year, expected to surpass a million units for the first time in 2023. More than 30 new models are arriving this year. More than 50 new or updated models are coming in 2024. But sales just not keeping up with that increased output. Yeah, so the supply in electric vehicles has swelled by 350% this year to more than 92,000 vehicles. Uh, right now, they have a 92-day supply, roughly three months worth of electric vehicles, which is nearly twice the industry average. That's how long uh, they're sitting on the lot here. By comparison, dealers have a relatively low 54 days worth of gas-powered vehicles. In normal times, it's a 70-day supply. So they're short on gas-powered vehicles. They're heavy on electric-powered vehicles. Luxury models, Audi has a couple, the electric Q4 and Q8. GMC has an electric Hummer uh, also have inventories up to 100 days. Price continues to remain an issue here. We've discussed it before. Also, chargers, a big issue for consumers. Until there's a real charging infrastructure out there, uh, many consumers are wary uh, unless they can afford uh, having one in their garage if they own a home uh, and they don't have to travel too far. Right now, many cars still come with pretty hefty price tags, making them ineligible for federal tax credits. They did pass some credits last year, but they're limited in how they will benefit things. It's something we've discussed on the podcast and the newsletter before, uh, that in many cases, they only benefit uh, cars with parts made here in America. And many parts, uh, including the batteries, are still made abroad right now. So people are limited in terms of how much federal tax support and tax credits they can get, which is what has led to uh, this oversupply in electric cars. One piece of good news, an analyst for Bank of America reports that charging infrastructure is coming. A lot more is coming with that bill that was passed last year with billions uh, to put charging stations in place. And they believe that prices will reach parity with gas vehicles around 2025 as there's more infrastructure. So about two years away from the prices of EVs coming down and being about equal to gas vehicles. From the Wall Street Journal, visitors to Disney theme parks this summer are encountering something that they haven't seen in a while. Elbow room. Travel analysts and advisors say that traffic to Disney's U.S. parks and some rival parks has slowed this summer. Data from a travel company that tracks line waiting time at Walt Disney World in Orlando shows that the Independence Day weekend was one of the slowest in nearly a decade. Disney execs have said they expected weaker earnings from their U.S. parks this year. The Orlando area resort, even offering hotel discounts around Christmas, that's typically a peak period. Park visitors in recent weeks have had significantly lower wait times to get on rides. Analysts say shorter wait times 
generally correlate to smaller crowds. At Disney's Hollywood Studios theme park in Central Florida, home to blockbuster Star Wars attractions, July 4th was the third slowest day in the past year. Travel advisors and industry analysts say the slowdown, the latest sign that Disney's recent price hikes and changes to park operations have soured some families on visiting. At Disneyland in California, the company increased the cost of multi-day tickets by 9% or more in October, with the price of a two-day ticket rising from $255 per adult to $285. Yeah, Jill, so price is an issue here. Uh, Analysts also seeing that there's much more pent-up demand uh, for cruises, uh, for trips to Europe right now. Disney's been rolling out promotions to get people back in. Uh, Also to blame, some people say Florida's summer heat worse than ever. We've talked yesterday on the podcast about how this is the worst summer when it comes to heat, with the heat index uh, exceeding 100 degrees on several days in July. So even too much by Florida summer standards. And then, of course, that's the politics element here. Uh, Disney has been in that fight back and forth with Ron DeSantis. Uh, so there are some people on the right, some conservatives, who have taken issue with the brand. Uh, and so whether that is impacted attendance uh, is a question here as well. So a number of factors here. Uh, and so it remains to be seen when uh, people want to return to the theme parks again, certainly based on uh, the, the prices right now in Europe uh, and what people are saying, it does seem like a lot of people have shifted there and you know have decided to uh, spend splurge on those types of vacations this summer. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this July 11th. Jill, we start in 1804. The site is Weehawken, New Jersey. Aaron Burr shoots Alexander Hamilton in a duel. If you've seen the show, if you've heard the soundtrack, if you've read the book, you're pretty familiar with this by now. This rivalry between Hamilton and Burr went back more than a decade. Hamilton helps effectively make Thomas Jefferson his rival, President 1800, to spite Burr. Uh, Then he blocks him out of being New York governor in 1804. Burr did not take kindly to any of this. By the way, Burr was vice president at this time. So as a sitting vice president, he hears that Alexander Hamilton is at a dinner party and calling him a dangerous man and saying nasty things about him. Burr writes him a letter saying, is this true? I need you to recant this. Hamilton says, hell no, I can't recant this. Burr challenges him to a duel. Hamilton does not want to be in a duel. Why? Because Hamilton's son had died in a duel three years previous. But Hamilton felt he had to go through with it. And so they met in Weehawken on this day in 1804. And Aaron Burr shoots Alexander Hamilton, a sitting vice president killing the former Treasury Secretary in New Jersey. Jill, I presume you've seen the Broadway show by now? I have seen it just via Disney Plus, never in person. But that was must-see TV, if you remember, during the pandemic. Uh, Best seats in the house, right on your couch. I assume you've seen it in person. Oh, Jill, I I paid an ungodly amount of money when it was trendy (laughs) to go see it in in 2015. All right, to the 20th century now, on this day in 1914, Babe Ruth, the uh, greatest Yankee of all time, actually made his baseball debut, many baseball fans will know this, as a Boston Red Sox. All right, a bit of book and music news here. On this day in 1960, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird is first published. And Jill, do you remember this theme song? Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. I'm having flashbacks to elementary school. Is that Reading Rainbow, Mosh? You got it. Reading Rainbow turns 40 years old today. It premiered on this day in 1983 with LeVar Burton. Uh, This was a book that uh, made a push for reading. Uh, Many kids, children of the 80s and 90s might remember it. It actually aired for 23 years, Jill, from 1983 to 2006. And on this day in 1995, Jill, many people said... 
hello to Shage. It wasn't me. It wasn't me doesn't come out yet. Today, on oh. this day in history, he releases Boombastic, which we can play a bit of for everybody. She called me Mr. Boombastic, really fantastic. Put me on me box, she says I'm Mr. Roo. So this was Shaggy's, we could call it breakthrough album. And then uh, a couple of years later, we get to It Wasn't Me and a couple of his biggest hits in the early 2000s. But on this day in 95, Shaggy, whose real name is Oliver Burrell, releases Boombastic. Somehow that Oliver Burrell um, <laughs> is just not quite as fun. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't work when it's like Oliver Burrell. It's like Shaggy Burrell. Yeah. No, it's a, you know that's why he went with DJ Shaggy. Good for Shaggy. All right, uh, but it is the real Jill Wagner and the real Moshe Winunu, uh, not stage names. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Do you think I would ever pick Moshe Winunu as a stage <laughs> yeah, name, Jill? Great There's point. like a million and a half easier names than my name. Maybe I should talk to Shaggy about what's available out there right now. But uh, no, I'm, I'm proud of my name. I'm happy with my name. Jill, I want to thank everyone for joining Mo News Premium in recent days. Uh, we have a new podcast out uh, out there. By the way, we should remind folks today, first day of two days of Amazon Prime, first day of three days of Walmart Plus. I imagine uh, those who know already know and are already doing their buying as they listen to this podcast. We have an interview over on the members only Mo News Premium podcast about all things Amazon and Walmart that I think you guys will find very interesting. You can head over now to mo.news slash premium uh, to support this account, join as a monthly member, annual member, and get access to those extra podcasts and our members-only Instagram account. All right. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.